Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Jason Riley. Jason's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a commentator on Fox News. He was awarded the Bradley Prize in 2018, and he's the author of a brand new book that will be the topic for our discussion today. It's called The Black Boom. So, Jason, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, glad to be here, Brian. Uh, your book is its a short kind of uh, punchy look at the economic policies implemented under the Trump administration uh, that had led, at least in the pre-pandemic period, to economic gains among Black Americans, uh, from employment, uh, you note, wages, poverty, inequality. Uh, so I wonder if you could just, uh, for our listeners, sketch out the basic argument of the book, uh, why you wanted to write it, and just how significant were some of the gains that you detailed. Sure. So um, I, I wanted to write the book because I thought it was a very underreported story. Um, those black economic gains uh, were tremendous. Um, uh, we hadn't seen them in a long time, uh, if ever, in some cases. And it, they didn't get a lot of play in, in the press. And that's because the, the, the establishment media had largely decided that uh, Donald Trump was a bigot and that his policies were going to harm the uh, economic prospects of, of uh, low-income minorities in particular. And so uh, reporting this news, this data, would have undermined that narrative. And so they uh, largely downplayed it or ignored it altogether. And I thought it was an important story to tell, um, not necessarily to score partisan points, but because income inequality is something a lot of us care about, sincerely. And if it was shrinking... Um, I think people should know what kinds of policies were leading to that shrinkage. And, um, and now that we have an administration in place that wants to reverse um, a lot of these economic policies that, uh, that Donald Trump put in place, namely tax cuts and deregulatory policies, um, uh, I think people should know what we could be returning to if, uh, if, if those reforms are reversed. So, so that's why I wanted to write, write the book. So, so those those the two particular policy areas, tax policy and uh, the the kind of deregulatory push by the Trump administration that you see as most essential. Yes, that's that's correct, and and I should I should say that this is largely a, um, I mean, I titled the book the Black Boom, but what we're really talking about is a working class boom. It just so happens that blacks and 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 Hispanics are a disproportionate number. Of, of people in the working class. But what these reforms that, that Trump put in place did uh, redounded to the benefits of, of working class Americans broadly. Um, he cut taxes, uh, particularly corporate income tax, uh, corporate taxes, which, um, which means that corporations were incentivized to bring money back from overseas and invest it here domestically. And in businesses they had here expand those businesses, which required hiring more people uh, and so forth. And um, they brought a lot of people into the workforce, long-term unemployed people, teenagers, seniors, and uh, even less skilled and less experienced workers uh, were brought into the workforce, um, uh, uh, I think, as a result of, the, of those tax cuts. And again, the deregulatory effort once again helped um, businesses, um, gave them the incentive to expand, knowing that there was going to be a lighter 
regulatory burden, or in many cases, just that no more regulatory burdens are going to be added, which um, is the sort of certainty that that businesses are looking for as they consider whether to expand and hire uh, capital investments and so forth. So your your book, the, the Black Boom, is is focusing on the pre-pandemic period. Uh, what about post-COVID nineteen? You know, did did the virus undo the progress you write about? Um, and you, you know, what's what's happened subsequently? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what did we lose? Twenty three million jobs. Uh, yes, uh, it really wiped out a lot of a lot of the gains. Um, I do think that. One of the reasons you saw um, President Obama, uh, or I'm sorry, President Trump, do better among minorities in his re-election bid, although he lost, his performance among blacks and Hispanics went up, particularly among men in those groups, It was because of his emphasis on reopening the economy. A lot of those people couldn't work from home. Uh, they're in the service sector, they're in hospitality and so forth. And the president's um, emphasis on on getting back to work, reopening the economy, I think really resonated with them. You have to keep in mind, Brian, how bad things got for blacks economically under Obama. Um, Black unemployment did not fall below double digits until the seventh year of the Obama presidency. Um, so, So blacks did not fare well economically under President Obama. Trump comes into office, black unemployment falls to record lows. Uh, Black poverty rates fall to record lows. Black wages are rising at a faster rate than white wages in this country. Uh, So a tremendous acceleration um, of what had been happening under under President Obama. Uh, Just one quick data point to illustrate this point. Among the uh, 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 lowest wage workers in this country, um, they saw their wages rise in the first three years of the Trump presidency at more than double the rate they rose in the second term of Obama. So um, that's, that's <laughs> we weren't just talking about a, a continuation of trends under Obama, which is what a lot of uh, Obama defenders and, and Democrats and liberals want to want to want to call this. Um, this was a uh, something unique to the Trump presidency that I think uh, was born of of his tax cuts, his deregulation, his emphasis on growing the economy, um, and economic growth. Uh, I argue does a much better job of addressing income inequality than does uh, welfare state expansions, uh, government benefits, racial preferences, and so forth. You know, as, as you noted, the the uh, press has ignored this uh, this Trump uh, era black boom. Um, you know, I wonder if something is is similarly going on right now with regard to the COVID lockdowns that occurred, especially during 2020. You know, COVID obviously wreaked havoc in terms of mortality in the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, and in the U.S. it 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 struck the black community uh, particularly hard, but what about uh, the you know the effects of lockdowns and the subsequent social dislocation that occurred in black communities? Uh, we don't hear much about the economic devastation, the the rising crime that's taking place in these places, which may be related. 
um, and the learning loss, which must be reaching staggering levels, uh, you know, because of the shutdown of schools last year and in 2020 and uh, the, the continued masking, a lot of, a lot of problems there. So, you know, I, I don't think that's getting reported as much as it should be. You're, you're right. It, it isn't. Um, and, and I, and I, I mean, I've, I've particularly disturbed by uh, what's happening with the schools. Um, you know, we, we do have an achievement gap uh, in this country, and it's clear that the lockdowns exacerbated it. It's, it's also clear that um, the teachers unions were, were pushing for these school closures and for them to stay in place long after we knew that uh, children were least affected uh, in terms of spreading it, in terms of getting sick and so forth. And the unions um, wanted to use this this pandemic to leverage uh, better pay and benefits and so forth out of out of this tragedy. And um, the, the the impact on these um, these children, minority children in particular, um, uh, the, the loss in learning, uh, the psychological effects, the inability of many of them to continue their schooling because they didn't have the equipment uh, at home to do so. Um, I, I think it's just ab- absolutely devastating. And I, and I think and hope that um, the, the, the unions and their Democratic allies will pay a price uh, for, for what they put um, Black America through. Um, maybe we're seeing some of that already. You look at the Virginia governor's race. People point to that. But I, I hope that's just the start of it. In the Black Boom, you extend... Uh and we've talked a little bit about it here, what is, has been a long-running theme of your, your commentary, that uh, disadvantaged Americans at the working class benefits more uh, from opportunity, entrepreneurship, and a market economy than they ever could from welfare programs, political favors coming from government. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about why this is the case, sort of on a philosophical level. You know, should economic growth come first? That is, you know, do we need policies to encourage prosperity before we can hope to to go after, you know, social, uh, cultural problems? Or does the causality actually run in the other direction, that growth doesn't solve problems on its own, but that, that markets and capitalism, uh, that they instill certain habits? This is something Michael no- Novak used to argue, discipline, routine, deferred gratification uh, that, you know, bear positive fruits in, in a life and, and in society. Well, in, in terms of, of cultural development, um, you know, the development of human capital, uh, as economists call it, skills, habits, behaviors, um, I, I think that's something that has to happen internally um, within a group. I, I think there are limits to what uh, the government can do uh, in terms of uh, accelerating that sort of thing. What the government can do is get out of the way um, and not put in place disincentives for uh, a group to develop the, the types of um, uh, behaviors that are conducive to upward mobility. And so I think, you know, large welfare state, for instance, I think can be counterproductive in that regard, paying people not to work and so forth. Um, uh, but what um, I point out in the book is that historically, uh, when blacks have been given uh, economic opportunity, um, they've run with it. They've largely taken advantage of it. And so that should be the focus in terms of a government policy, growing the economy. The um, 
a period of, of, of fastest growth uh, uh, since the end of slavery uh, for blacks in this country uh, has been uh, between uh, the late 1940s, post-World War II period, and the early 1970s. So you think about what was going on in America socially at that time. We're talking about a period during Jim Crow, legal segregation. Um, you could put a sign in your window that says, we don't hire blacks, or you can't, you can't live in this neighborhood. Um, blacks had very little political representation, very little political clout during that period in terms of uh, elected officials. Um, and yet, we saw uh, the strongest economic gains uh, during any period in, uh, in modern history. Um, so uh, what we saw happening under, under Donald Trump before the pandemic, I think, was simply a repeat of what has happened uh, at other times in U.S. history when we've had uh, strong growth. And that's what we had in the post-war period. It was very strong economic growth. And then blacks took it upon themselves to take advantage of those opportunities, notwithstanding all the other things that were going on socially in the country to stand in their way. And, 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 and so this book is not, you know, it's not a defense of Donald Trump's personality or character or Twitter feed. It's, it's a defense of free market economic policies, which I argue simply do a better job of uh, addressing income inequality and, 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 and uh, upward mobility uh, than government programs do, and then wealth redistribution policies do. Um, and, and that's what this is an argument for, uh, free market policies. Now, the Black Boom also contains uh, two comments on your, your extended essay, uh, one by uh, Juan Williams and the other by Wilfred Riley, who look at its argument and they, you know, they, they have different takes. So, so Williams suggests and uh, you alluded to this position earlier, that Trump can't be fully credited with the progress that occurred on his watch as it came at the tail end of a cyclical economic expansion that was unleashed by Barack Obama. Um, and then, you know, it extended across the entire developed world as it responded to the financial crisis. Riley takes a different view, view from you on uh, immigration. So I wonder if you could describe these two critiques of, of the argument of Black Boom and explain what your response is. Sure. I, I, my goal there was to, to um, uh, take on two arguments that um, are, are commonly put forward to explain uh, why we saw the uh, Black economic progress that we did see. Um, and, and to the extent that people on the left acknowledge it was happening, um, uh, I think Juan, Juan Williams really speaks for them in his in his uh, response to my piece, and they argue that it was simply a continuation of what was going on under Obama, that um, uh, he, Obama just handed off to the next guy um, uh, a booming economy, and, and what we saw was going to happen no matter who he handed it off to. It was inevitable. And uh, I, I, I take that argument on because I go back and look at what the expectations were at the time. Um, you know, Economic growth in this country actually fell by about 50% during Obama's final term. In 2015, it had been 3.1%. In 2016, his final year in office, it fell to 1.6%. Um, that is the economy that Donald Trump inherited, a slowing economy to the point where people like Larry Summers were, were, were predicting a recession 
So was the Federal Reserve. So was the Congressional Budget Office. All of them were predicting an economic downturn, slower economic growth, uh, slower job growth, and so forth. Uh, uh, Trump defied all of these expectations. And, and, and I argue that you know, Juan's sort of making a heads I win, tails you lose argument in that um, you know, if things had gone sideways under Trump, uh, I doubt he would have blamed Obama, <laughs> but because they they went in, in a positive direction, he wants to give Obama the credit, and I don't think you can you can have it both ways. Um, uh, Wilfred Riley uh, takes on a different argument, and this is actually an argument that a lot of conservatives uh, and Trump supporters in particular make, and that is that um, it was Trump's crackdown on illegal immigration that led to the black gains that we saw. Um, the first three years of his presidency. And my argument is that I, I just don't see in the data um, evidence that that illegal immigrants or illegal immigrants uh, can be uh, scapegoated for bad economic outcomes among blacks. Um, and and uh, this is not to argue that we shouldn't address illegal immigration or fix the border or um, decide who comes into this country. Uh, and on what terms they come in. I, I'm not opposed to stopping illegal immigration to the extent that we can. But in terms of the impact that illegal immigrants have on black uh, economic advancement, I just don't see a lot of evidence there that they have very much impact at all. Um, people you know, debate how many illegal immigrants are in the country. Some people, you know, the official number is you know, 12 million or so, but there are other people who argue it's double that. Or triple that, and I say, you know, pick your number. Um, let's say there are 25 million illegal immigrants in this country. The economic gains I I I I, I lay out in this book still occurred with 25 million illegal immigrants in this country. We still had uh, wages rising for blacks at faster rates than for whites, particularly at the low end of the economic spectrum, which are supposed to be which is supposed to be where um, immigrants are having the most detrimental effect on U.S. workers. Um, there is some evidence that uh, wages among uh, Americans, uh, low-skill Americans, particularly Americans without a high school degree, there can be downward pressure on wages among that group. Um, but the downward pressure is small, 3 4%. And um, the number of Americans without a high school degree is just a very tiny percentage of our population that has been dramatically shrinking in recent decades. Uh, there's no evidence of job displacement. From uh, from immigrants, legal or or, or, or illegal. So um, so Wilford pushes on, on on that pushes that argument, and that's sort of what um, uh, how I respond to it. Um, a final question. Just uh, this isn't obviously addressed in the book, but what what has been your your view of the uh, you know the first year plus now of the Biden administration with regard to the argument that you make in Black Boom? I think the, the, the problem is that uh, the Biden administration wants to reverse a lot of um, uh, the economic policies put in place under Trump that I believe led to the results I described in the book. Um, I don't think we would have seen these black economic gains but for um, uh, the reduction in taxes, both uh, personal income taxes and corporate taxes, but for the reduction uh, in the regulatory burden, again, which I think incentivized corporations to hire and invest. 
And, 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 and so to the extent that Biden wants to reverse those things, I'm worried we'll go back to the same slow growth we saw under Obama. The other thing I, I find very troubling about the Biden administration is um, their desire to dramatically increase the size of the welfare state in this country, Brian. Um, you know, we have a, a worker shortage right now. There are millions more jobs available than there are people looking for work. Um, the idea that you are going to give people more of a disincentive to return to the labor force, I find um, to be very, very disturbing. Um, and not only that, um, the Biden administration wants to expand the welfare state deep into the middle class. They're talking about tax credits and family leave uh, policies for in, you know homes with six-figure incomes. Uh, so again, I, I, I find that that move to expand the welfare state uh, very, very disturbing uh, under Biden, in addition to his his intent to uh, to reverse a lot of the policies that I think led to the reduction in income inequality that we saw prior to the, to the pandemic. Well, thank you very much, Jason. Uh, don't forget to check out Jason Riley's work. It's on the Manhattan Institute website, which is manhattan-institute.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. He's also the author of a terrific recent biography of Thomas Sowell. Uh, you can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as usual, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. So, Jason, thanks. Great to talk with you as always. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.